0: Good morning. Um, uh, My son, uh, I was talking to him a little bit about uh, preaching last night, and he said, you should open by saying, happy 4th of July. Um, So happy 4th of July. Uh, Eric kind of stole my thunder there. Um, I'm not complaining. Uh, But it's really exciting. My name's Dan. It has been a minute since I've been up here in front of you guys. Um, The last time that I preached here, it was to an empty room and a camera. So this is actually... Uh, pretty exciting for me. I got those, uh, those first-time jitters, you know, that you get that, that first time you do something. They're back, baby. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I am sort of glad that, you know, we're coming out of the, the pandemic phase, and we're coming out of that phase in life where you stop asking people, like, how was your pandemic? Um, <laughs> because I, I never knew, I, I never know how to respond to someone when they say that, you know, it's like, how was your pandemic? Great. It was really good. I had a really great pandemic, best (laughs) pandemic of my life. You know, it's like, yeah, I grew a lot. And by grow, I mean I gained a lot of wheat. (laughs) I mean, it's like, what do you want to hear? I I got into baseball cards and I mastered the art of wearing sweatpants. You know, like, let's let's just move along with our lives here. Um, So speaking of moving on, um, how have you guys been enjoying the Ecclesiastes series? It's good, right? Yeah, I mean, wisdom literature is... Is um, really great for stretching us. You know, it really challenges us to think differently in a good way. Um, and so the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, he he kind of like he, he gives us like a world tour of different arenas of life. So he's he's taken us to the palace, he's taken us to the workplace, he's um he's taken us to the courtroom, and today he's taking us to church. He's taken us in verse five, we're going to the to the steps of the temple. But I want you guys to see, and this is sort of the thesis of my sermon this morning, that um, the teaching that we're going to learn about today, the the word that we're about to receive, um, it goes beyond the temple. And the basic premise of this teaching is that the way that we approach God matters. So, if you're writing down notes, here's here's the first bullet: the way that we approach God matters. It is not insignificant. So we're going to jo- dive into this, this uh, passage of, of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. So it's a shorter passage today. Um, if you are looking at the chair Bibles, it should be on page 320. And since it's a shorter passage, let's go ahead and stand uh, out of respect for God's Word, if you are able. So Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Will you guys pray with me real quick? Uh, Lord, I I pray that this word um, sinks into our hearts. We want to learn from it. We want to hear your voice. Help us to be good listeners. Amen. You may be seated. This passage is is thick. There's there's a lot there. Um, I want to zoom out. And if we zoom out, what we'll see is that this passage tells us three things that we need um, when we approach God. And the three things that we need are reverence, humility, and integrity. So we're going to look at each three of those characteristics, reverence, humility, and integrity. The, the call to reverence, and when I say reverence, what I mean is like a, a deep and profound respect. It's, it's respect, but, but deeper. Um, the call to reverence, it comes quick. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And that sounds a little ominous, right? I mean, did, did you guys guard your steps as you walked into the church this morning? Honestly, one of the things I love about coming to the Oaks is just how easy it is to walk in here. You know, it, it's come as you are. This is as dressed up as I've been in 16 months. Like, it's come as you are. Like, you, you don't have to dress up. Um, people are friendly. And if you've been coming here for more than a month, you've probably met almost everyone. Um, you've probably learned the routine of our, of our service. Um, and even the building itself, you know, there's not a lot of mysteries. It's a small building. You've probably seen all the rooms by now. There's no inner sanctum or, or you know, uh, inner room that you can't get to. Except maybe that little pastor's room in the corner, right? That's got a little mystery. Um, I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you know what's in there. Uh, (laughs) Inside the pastor's room are two chairs, um, an air handler that turns on the AC system that will scare the devil out of you when it turns on, um, and Pastor Matt's stash of Laura bars, but you didn't hear that from me. But it's easy to come in here. It's easy to come in here. It's it's fun to come in here. it's comfortable to come in here. And a little comfort is good, but too much comfort is dangerous. The old saying, you've probably heard this before. I think it was, I'm going to go with Chaucer. I'm just making that up. Um, (laughs) Familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt is a loss of respect. Familiarity breeds contempt. So the danger that we must guard against is that walking into God's presence. we walk into God's presence overly comfortable. We come, into these, come in through these doors kind of half-hearted and distracted. Um, I, want you to, to, I want to read this, this uh, quote for, for you guys. This is from Pastor Eugene Peterson. Um, and he says, Sometimes I think that all religious sites should be posted with signs reading, Beware the God. The places and occasions that people gather to attend God are dangerous. They're glorious places and occasions, true, but they're also dangerous. Danger signs should be conspicuously placed, as they are at nuclear power stations. Religion is the death of some people. Doesn't that sound a little strange to our ears? It sounds strange to say, but it's not healthy and it's not safe to get too comfortable inside of a church. Or, as, as Peterson just said, any place or occasion where God is present. There is a, um, a story that, I, that I've been reading through the Old Testament, and the story that's kind of stuck with me, it's from 2 Samuel. Um, and it's this scene where the Israelites, and there's a whole backstory to this, but I'm kind of dot, jumping, or, or I'm placing you right in the middle of the story. There's a scene where the Israelites are moving the Ark of the Covenant um, to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant, you guys know from um, the uh, uh, Indiana Jones moves, I mean the Bible. Um, <laughs> it's like this very special, unique place, uh, manifestation of God's presence in Israel at that time. And so they're moving the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem. And en um, route, it's being pulled by oxen, and in route, the oxen stumble, right? And the Ark's going to fall. And one of the people nearby, a guy named Uzzah, he puts his hand on it, likely just to steady it from falling. And the moment he puts his hand on it, God strikes him dead. (laughs) And my first reaction was that, oh my God. (laughs) Like, what's going on there? That's a little extreme. Well, it turns out that God had given Israel, specifically the Levites, very extremely specific instructions on who can move the ark and how it could be moved. And Uzzah was not following God's instructions. So there was a clear act of disobedience. But I started to think about it. And, and so Uzzah, this guy, he's a Levite. All right. So he, he knows what the rules are. So why would he just disrespect God's rules? Why would he, you know? behave towards the ark, you know, handle it with with contempt. And it's interesting, if you read more about this, all right, before the journey, the ark had been staying in a house. It had been in a house. What house? The house of Uzzah's father. It had been in his house for the last 20 to 40 years. So Uzzah, he grew up around this thing. And he walked by this thing every day or every week, You know, just part of his normal, everyday life. (laughs) Remind me of kind of like how we just sort of cycle in and cycle out of church week after week. And after being around it for so long, he must have grown too comfortable in his presence. And he stopped guarding his steps. So the question, let me ask it again, I, I asked it once, let me ask it again. Did you guard your steps as you walked in this morning? What is your heart like when you approach God? And the the, the real question I think we all need to ask ourselves, has too much comfort dulled our sense of reverence? There's danger when we lose our reverence. And I I think the danger is different. I don't think God's going to strike us dead if we touch the ark. But what Peterson said is that religion is the death of some people. And what I think he means there is, is that our hearts can grow bored and they can grow cold and they can grow numb and they can grow distant from God. Our hearts can grow away from God. Is that less dangerous than death? I think from an eternal perspective it isn't. So we have a call to reverence. And after our call to reverence, we have a call to humility. If you read, when we read verses 1 through 3, It warned us not to be rash with our mouths or hasty with our words, but to simply draw near to God to listen, to approach God more ready to listen than to speak. Okay, so I was listening to a podcast um, the other day, and it was on 2021's uh, top TikTok and YouTube uh, stars. Now, before you start worrying about me, I I, I need to explain. This was a basketball podcast, and the host had given his daughter 15 minutes with the mic, so she brought this to the table. But I listened to it nonetheless, and um, aside from, from not knowing a single person that they had mentioned, I was kind of blown away by this. There's an ability for someone, and really anyone, these days to create a following. It's never... Been easier than it is today to speak to a crowd. Your voice can be heard, and and I, out of curiosity, I went to a couple of these YouTubers and kind of watched some of their content. And I don't, I would even struggle, and I know some people would disagree with me. I would struggle to call them content creators because what they were doing was they were narrating their day. Here's my thoughts as I go to the gym. And here's my thoughts as I commute to work or, or whatever they were doing. It was just sharing their mind. But for some reason, people are watching it. And I, I know that I'm not breaking any news here. But we've become a society that's obsessed with the sound of our own voice. And it drains us. It is draining to our society. And I I, I wish that it was just something that was just like out there, that was outside of these walls, that didn't impact us. And maybe to some extent it's worse out there, but I think the danger is in here as well. Um, This is a great quote um, by Bonhoeffer. Um, He says, Christians, especially ministers, so often think that they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening is, can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians. Because Christians are talking when they should be listening. Now, catch this next part. This part just said right through my heart. All right, But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of spiritual life. And in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter. Oof. Does Bonhoeffer know me? Like... And did you guys catch that? Open mouths and closed ears It not only deadens our relationship with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. It deadens our relationship with God. All right, quiz, quiz time. Can anybody guess what phrase Jesus repeated the most when he was on earth, according to the Gospels? Think about it for a second. What phrase did Jesus utter the most? What phrase is written down in the Gospels attributed to Jesus the most while he was here on earth? We got one. We got it. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus was telling us. We got to listen. As I've been studying for this for this sermon preparing, I came across um, the writing of one pastor and I thought this was really powerful so I, I just straight up copying it. Um, so he put it like this, he says, listening is crucial whenever we draw near to God because listening involves yielding. As I listen to someone, I am surrendering over a portion of myself and my time in order to know them more. In this way, listening validates worth. By listening, I declare that you are worth my time and attention. My focus shifts off myself and onto you. And this explains why speaking to someone who listens is truly life-giving. Listening is an act of humility. Have you guys ever thought about it in that way? Listening as an act of humility. We are called to come before God humble and ready to listen. To let God speak and for us to hear. Now, we are invited to respond. It, it's not, we can have a conversation with the Lord, but we don't interrupt. So we, we, we approach God with reverence, we approach God with humility, and then we approach God with integrity. Because verses 4 through 7, they revolve around this idea of making and fulfilling vows. God keeps his word, so he expects us to keep our word. And as, as Christians, being uh, trustworthy, being honest, it is, it is critical for our ability to, to witness, to, to go and share the good news of Jesus to the outside world. Um, but the context in this verse... Is is really a warning to honor the vows or promises that we make to God. And if you're like me, you might think, "Well, this one's good. I'm, I'm kind of off the hook. I haven't promised God anything." And I, I sort of thought that way, and then I started to think more about this, and I thought, "Okay, what are some things that we commonly? What are some vows that we might make to the Lord?" Well, when we're baptized, what's our sacred confession? Jesus is Lord. There's an implication there that we will follow Jesus as Lord. When we get married before the Lord, we vow to love, to honor, and to serve our spouse till death do us part. We make that sacred vow, not only to our spouse, but to God. When we do our, um, our, our, our baby dedications, our, our dedicate children, um, There's two vows that happen. The parent makes a vow to raise the child in righteousness and to grow the child um, and teach him of the Lord. And then we turn towards the congregation and then you all make the same vow. You've made it if you've been to a baby dedication. When you join the church as a member, there's a covenant, a covenant vow that you make and you uh, agree to love and to serve and to support the church. You know, even when we sing, we say phrases that come across as vows. Uh, I kind of hunted our, our, our morning songs for vows. I found a couple that were close. But I just, the, if you look at the song, and we do it, we didn't do it this week, but we do it a, a, a decent amount, like Steadfast by Sandra McCracken. The first line, it, it, you're, if you're singing along, you are making declarations to the Lord. I will build my house, whether storm or drought, on the rock that does not move. I will set my hope in your love, O Lord, and your faithfulness will prove. You're saying that. Are you saying it mindfully or mindlessly? And of course, I haven't even mentioned the, the, the kind of prayers that we make when we go, God, if you do X, then I promise to do Y. You know, God, if you, if you give me this spouse, man, I'll never ask for anything else again. God, if you give me this new job, I'm going to tithe 20%. You know, like whatever the, the, the bargains that we try to make to God. I think that this vow forces us to think about the promises that we've made to God. And if they were made mindfully, or if we just made them thinking that God would never call them due it might be worth thinking about what vows you've made. Because God is not the kind to forget our vow. And it would be foolish. It would be foolish for us to think otherwise. Now, these three things we've talked about. We've talked about reverence, we've talked about integrity. uh, Reverence, humility, and integrity. And what I want you to see is that they are dependent. And what they're dependent on is what we see, what closes this passage in verse 7. And the passage that says, But God is the one you must fear. These three things are dependent on a fear of the Lord. Now, our modern culture does not like putting the words God and fear in the same sentence. You know, you'll hear people say, Well, that's Old Testament God. And Old Testament God was he was angry and he was a bummer and he he was he was kind of mean, but New Testament God has has mellowed out. He's much more, you know, he's chill, he sent Jesus, he loves us. So we got the, the God of wrath and anger in the Old Testament, and the God of love in Jesus in the New Testament. And then, you know, you'll have people who will use verses and they'll say, Well, first John 1:4. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I mean, what are we we supposed to do with that? Um, The argument that God and fear don't go together, it, it falls apart because, one, God doesn't change. God is unchanging. And two, Jesus himself, and he says this in Luke chapter 12, and this will be up here for you, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear Him, God, who after He is killed has the authority to cast in the hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. Are not two sparrows sold for two pennies, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God? So what do we do? How do we, how do we navigate this idea of fear? It's good, it's bad, we should do it, we shouldn't do it. And this is a, a reason we need to be under good biblical teaching. Because in the Bible, you can basically group fears into two groups, okay? There's a good group: fear of the Lord, and then there's a spirit of fear. okay? In Second Timothy, we learn about the spirit of fear, which is when we we elevate normal everyday fears. Think of like uh, your fear of harm, uh, your fear of punishment, your fear of loss, um, the fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment. these are things that we all wrestle with at some level. But when we elevate them, we let them go unchecked, they can take over our lives and overwhelm us. That's giving in to a spirit of fear. And this is harmful, and this is the fear that God's perfect love casts out. A fear of the Lord, on the other hand, is beneficial and encouraged. It's not being afraid. It's not abject terror. It's awestruck reverence. It's being in the presence of something so great that you feel so small. It's having respect for God's anger and wrath towards sin. It's, as the preacher says, knowing that God is in heaven and that you are on earth. And this healthy fear of the Lord, it will foster reverence, it will foster humility, and it will foster integrity. Having respect, all right, this reverence, having this respect, knowing our place, this humility, honoring our word, being being a person of integrity, won't be as difficult when we have holy fear of the Lord. And this fear, it isn't just proper, it's practical. When we have a healthy fear of God, other fears will lose their grip on us. They are weak in comparison to God's power. So those fears of life, some of the things I, I listed off a few minutes ago, um, they will um, lessen when we are properly fearing God. If we lose our fear of God, they will manifest themselves into an overwhelming spirit of fear. And we'll become a scared people. So, because I'm talking about fear, and because it's it's a complicated, you know, it's a complicated split to make. I I, I want to be like overly clear. I am not telling anybody to drum up a panic terror when approaching God. Um, quite the opposite, actually. Psalm 34. It says, you know, to uh, delight in the Lord. You know, I think we need to, we go to to Lord uh, before the Lord with a joyful spirit. But I am telling us that a healthy sense of reverence is important. That we, can, we should continue to be awestruck by God and our smallness in comparison to his greatness. So God was angry and he punished the Israelites when they approached God sinfully. That was God. When, when the Israelites came up and they sauntered in front of God in a careless way, bad things happen to them. And God is unchanging. He hasn't changed his stance. He hasn't like lowered the bar. Now you can come up in front of me and and just whatever. God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there is a big difference between how those in the time of Ecclesiastes approached God and how you and I can approach God. Now, I did not plan this because we're going to read the same verse that we, are, that, we started, that we read in the liturgy. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 4, 14 through 16. Um, I didn't know it was going to be part of the liturgy. I think maybe that's God really wanting to cement it into our hearts today. Maybe this is something He wants you to take home with you. Um, let's hear this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we might that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, because Jesus and He had the perfect; He lived that perfect life. That's what what they're talking about. That He. Uh, was tempted, but without sin. He lived the perfect life in our place. And then he died a death on the cross for our sins. We now can come before God as his children without fear that we'll be rejected. We do not have to go, in front. we do not fear that God will reject us when we come to his presence. So learning to approach God with the holy fear is now part of our sanctification. It's now part of how we grow. It's It's how we deepen our relationship with God. It's important. It'll keep our hearts from growing bored and distant. But any punishment that was due to us for sinfully approaching the Lord has been covered by Jesus. Yeah, If instead of the oaks if instead of you had come to Solomon's temple 3,000 years ago this morning, there would be an altar of sacrifice up here. And upon that altar, we would have to spill blood. We have to spill blood to rescue us from the death uh, that our sin has earned us. But as you've noticed, you know there's no, there's no altar up here. There's no animals waiting in the wings, thank God. I have no desire to kill or slaughter an animal. What do we have up here? What's up here? A table. And what's a table for? A table's for friends. A table's for family. It's for sharing a meal. It's for having a celebration. We get a chance to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has made in our behalf. So we're going to take communion. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, come up, approach God, and celebrate. Now, as we've talked about, guard your steps. Don't, don't come up just because it's the thing you do at the end of the service. You know, we're packing up, barbecues are waiting. Like, let's not come up with that attitude. Let's come up with a reverent heart. Let's come up with humility. And let's try to listen to what the Lord has to say to us. Um, the night before Jesus died, he was with his friends around a table. And he took, his, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup of wine, he raised it and said, this is my blood poured out for you. This, will cover, this is covering your sins. And he asked his friends to do this in remembrance of him. So we're going to do that now. Uh, you guys have your little cups and you know the routine by now. Um, come up with um, thankfulness, with reverence and humility uh, for what Christ has done on your behalf. I'm going to pray. Father, please let your words sink in. Uh, The words of the preacher, the words of the author of Hebrews, um, whatever words were from you during this sermon, I pray that they would sink in. God, I pray that we would be listeners that we be people to approach you looking to listen, not to speak, but to, to hear what you have to say. Lord, help us to realize and, and appreciate the magnitude of your glory to the extent that we can, Lord. Lord, we're, 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 we're finite and you're infinite. So forgive us when we don't. Thank you that Christ paid, um, paid that penalty for us. Thank you that we don't face death for, inapro- for approaching you. Um, irreverently. Um, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice that that he has made. Thank you for the way that he has transformed um, how we approach you, uh, how we know you. Um, And he's transformed our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen.